Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hey, yo, welcome back, everybody, to Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. And our next guest is one of my favorite people to talk football with. He's getting about 10 minutes of adult time to himself <laughs> to chat with us here. You know him from NFL media. You know him from the podcast on NFL Network. You know him from TV. I mean, just everything because he's super famous. But, uh, of course, he doesn't let it go to his head. He's my pal and a pal of the show here, Marcus Grant. Marcus, welcome to the program, my friend. Appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for the invite. Uh, it's always great to talk with you, man. And again, it's it's nice, I'm sure, for you with having a, a small child around now. It's an adjustment <laughs> for you. Just to talk to an adult every now and then is nice, I imagine, right? It is nice, you know, especially when, one day it'll be nice to talk to these people like in person. But for now, I guess we, we settle for uh, for video conferencing as it is. Hey, the video is great, man. Uh, this is, you know, <laughs> we just usually do podcast stuff together, radio stuff. This is, this we're taking our relationship to the next level. I really like this. This is a big step for us. It is a big uh, step, yeah. We, we appreciate you coming on here. And, uh, you know, let's kick things off here with probably the biggest story in the NFL. It probably sent shockwaves through everywhere for the last uh, couple of days. And it's the Cam Newton signing of the New England Patriots. And uh, look, I mean, it makes a lot of sense on paper. In every sense of the word here, you're getting an MVP caliber quarterback, a guy who took a team to a 15-1 record, a guy who took a team to a Super Bowl, who was just 31 years old on an incentive-laden deal. I mean, Bill Belichick basically comes in there and does it again. But... From a fantasy perspective, what are your expectations realistically here in terms of what you think Cam Newton has left in the tank for 2020 and and maybe even beyond here? Let's talk like, you know, 2020 and even future Cam Newton here. Well, I think, you know, if you go back to the last time he was healthy, and I know that you got to go back a year and a half, almost two seasons to, to find that. I mean, this is a guy who was a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And I think that, you know, having had the time off, having missed essentially all of last season, having had the off season to recover, um, you know, I don't know if Instagram videos count as, you know, proof of health, but if that's the case, then Cam's doing great. Um, <laughs> look, he, he, here's a guy who you know, we know he's efficient running the football. He's never really been an accurate guy, but that hasn't stopped him before. Everybody talks about a lack of weapons in the New England offense beyond Julian Edelman, maybe James White. But it's not as though you know Cam has had a ton of great receivers. He had Steve Smith, and then you're looking at what Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funchess. I mean, it's not exactly a murderer's row. So <laughs> right now, right now, I've got Cam ranked as my my QB 15, um, and I think that's kind of a, a good sort of. I mean, it is really pretty middle of the road when you're talking about starters there. But if you're talking about drafting him, you're not giving up a lot of draft capital. For a guy who, when things are right, is a top 10 quarterback. It is, it is, I think, a lot of low risk with high reward. Well, I always look at Cam Newton as one of these guys, too, when the quarterback scenario is, you know, you love guys that control their own fantasy points. And Cam Newton's one of those guys like Josh Allen because he runs the football, because he can have the rushing touchdowns. And, you know, I play a lot of Superflex. You know, we've had these discussions lots of times. And I feel like this is a great upside quarterback, too in Superflex leagues, man, all of a sudden, like Cam Newton kind of rockets up that board. It'll be fascinating to see how they tailor things to him because you know they're going to because that's what they do best. They tailor whatever they have in terms of the best talent. Let's use them to the best of their abilities instead of to whatever we think. Uh, but that's going to be fascinating to watch. I know the most polarizing guy probably coming into this draft season is Todd Gurley. He's in a new spot here with Atlanta. And everybody's got an opinion, so I wanted to get yours because I know I've got mine, but everyone's sick of mine. So let's hear somebody way smarter than me about it. So tell me, where is Todd Gurley for you this year? What is your expectation? And do you think he is still a, a, a RB1? No, I think he's a fringe RB1. I am actually drafting him kind of more on the RB2 range. But what I do like about his situation in his Atlanta is that I think he's going to get more targets. That was the big hole in his game last year, and it was sort of inexplicable. When the Rams had thrown him the ball plenty the first few years he was there, then all of a sudden last year, Sean McVay just stops throwing Todd Gurley the football. So uh, I think you're going to get it more from Matt Ryan. I think he's going to get that target number back up, which gives him a lot more upside. The, the X factor, obviously, is the knee issue and how healthy he's going to be. But, you know, if we can assume that he still gets a, a pretty healthy workload of around 250 touches, throw in a few extra targets, I mean, I think there's a really good chance for a decent bounce back for him. 
Yeah, see, I, I agree. I, I'm looking for those targets, too. I mean, Atlanta throws the ball more than anybody else. All of a sudden, they just vanished in terms of targets from the Rams last year. And I, I'm liking Gurley where you're going somewhere in like the third round, which is kind of cool, because if you compare him with a Saquon or a Zeke or somebody that you feel really good about, I feel like it's a risk I'm willing to take. Do you think like that's kind of the sweet spot to make sure you're pairing him with a true number one so you kind of like mitigate your risk a little bit? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there were mock drafts, especially early in mock draft season where, you know, I would get a, a high draft pick and maybe land like a Zeke or, or a Kamara or somebody like that and come back around and get Gurley on the backside. And, and I felt pretty good about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that, once you do that, it allows you to kind of you know, take a lot of chances on wide receivers a little bit later on in your draft. But I mean, I do think that if you can get him as your RB2, I think, you know, you have the potential of maybe getting two RB1 caliber players on your all right, we're talking about guys on one-year deals. It seems like a theme here, so let's throw out another one. Let's just keep going, and let's go with Kareem Hunt, another guy who is now, you know, obviously has to share the backfield with Nick Chubb, but if you look at the targets and where they started to go in terms of the passing game, you saw Kareem Hunt really start to emerge, and it wasn't that long ago. I like to shake people sometimes and remind them, you know, this guy's only 24 years old. This guy only a couple years ago was a top-five overall pick. And was just, you know, blowing the doors off fantasy uh, <laughs> rosters everywhere. And, yeah, he's sharing a backfield. I get that. But at the same time, I'm looking at him as, like, the quintessential flex running back if I can get him. And I think he's got upside for way more potentially, too. I say there's enough for both these guys to have really good seasons in the fantasy world. Do you think there's enough to go around? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and because, look. Hunt is going to get fewer touches than Nick Chubb. I mean, there's there's no way around that, but he's getting high-value touches, right? In our PPR world that we now all inhabit, um, getting those targets, getting those receptions, it is more, it is worth more than just a regular carry. So that will sort of balance, I think, the numbers out a little bit in terms of their fantasy points overall. Uh, I still think Nick Chubb is going to have an excellent year. I will say, I think he falls out of the top 10, though, in terms of, of fantasy sure. running backs, just because look, we saw his target number decrease significantly once Kareem Hunt came back last year. So you spread that out over a 16-game season, and I think Nick Chubb still, you know, potentially a top 15 running back, but I think top 10 is going to be hard. But look, again, you're talking about getting Chubb maybe as an RB2, and you're, you're, you mentioned Kareem Hunt as a flex guy. Uh, it's a pretty solid one-two punch if you're looking at it. Now, I'm curious, what do you think about long-term? Who would you rather have in a dynasty format? Would you rather have Hunt or would you have Chubb? I, I know it's kind of a loaded question. We've seen RB1 seasons from both of them, but hey, we're, I ask the tough questions. That's why I get the medium bucks. <laughs> yeah, I think in a dynasty format, I'd probably go Chubb. I mean, he's just a little bit younger, uh -huh. I think. Uh, and he can catch the football. I mean, it's he not like he can't catch the football. They just decided to, you know, they had a different separation, division of labor. Uh, when Kareem Hunt got there. So you're talking about a guy with receiving upside who's a little bit younger. I think that's kind of where I go. All right, let's talk about a bounce-back guy here. And uh, obviously last year did not go well for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think we all know that. It went well for the defense, at least. It, all things considered, it was pretty difficult considering the quarterback play really put them behind the eight ball. But Juju Smith-Schuster, obviously a guy that going into last year was right in that first you know, I would say end of the turn somewhere around there in terms of value. Now you're getting him a few rounds later. So is this just an automatic for you where Big Ben's back, Juju goes back into the slot and all of a sudden, you know, we're right back to where we were last year? Or is there any sort of pause for you when it comes to Smith Schuster? Look, man, I want to get on board. You know, I'm rocking my Trojan shirt. Here, I, right? figured, I, I mean, I, I know I, it's a loaded question to ask. I, people, I, ask anyway. I do want to get on board. Like, I, I have concerns, though, about Ben. Like, yes, it's great that Ben's back. Does he make it through? a full season. We're talking about a 38-year-old guy who's had a pretty significant injury history, especially in the last few years. Uh, I wrote recently on NFL.com that I haven't seen this much hanging on one right arm since Henry Rowengartner took down the Mets, uh, you know, at the end of the you National League season. had to bring that up. That was a very difficult game for me. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, gosh. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, look, if, if, you, if you could promise me that Ben Roethlisberger stays healthy for – like even 14 games, right? I'm all aboard with Juju, again, being kind of a fringe wide receiver one, but I, I've just been hesitant to, to take Juju in, in any situation just because I don't have that level of confidence that Ben's going to make it through the season. And they didn't do anything. They, they didn't go get Jameis Winston. They didn't no, they get did Cam Newton. I thought he was the guy. I thought Winston was their guy. Right, right. And so if he gets back to the Mason Rudolph, Doug Hodges show, then I, I don't want to be a part of that again. No, I, I don't either. It's, you know, it's funny as a Met fan, we even get, you know, the shaft, even in fictitious baseball. <laughs> it's a really difficult thing. So, uh, I mean, I, I love the rookie of the year reference. For those, 
for those of you going, what the hell are they talking about? This is what happens when you're over 35 and you have yep. conversations with your friends. These are yep. the references you make. Yep. All right, let's let's talk about the Steelers and the other side of that too. Let's let's talk a little bit about Deontay Johnson because is that the same kind of thing? Because obviously we're talking way later in terms of draft capital. He's a lot cheaper guy, but somebody else has got to catch the ball in this offense. And we know historically there's at least 2,000 yard receivers available on the Pittsburgh Steelers. So right. I, I'll ask you, do you think Deontay Johnson is the other one? Uh, I mean, he is the other guy in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, and I feel sort of the same way though, right? Like if Ben's there, I think Deontay Johnson can go to the moon. I, if, if not, um, then, you know, we put that on pause for another year. But if you're looking for a second pass catcher on that offense, it's without a doubt to meet Deontay Johnson. All right. You have a plan for tight end this year? Or are you somebody who likes to pay up for the premium guys? Or are there some guys in that middle, that Andrews Waller group, or are you even going later and like maybe the Noah Fant group of guys, like where you seem to land right now in terms of where you like the returns on the draft for tight ends? So I've, I've either gone really early. I mean, there've been a couple of drafts where I've gone and got and grabbed George Kittle early on, um, or I go really late and I'm, you know, I'm a, a Gasicki, uh, you know, maybe a, a John oh, Smith. Oh no, I've lost you to the Gasicki mafia too. Oh yeah, I'm part, I, I'm part oh. of that crew. I'm oh, part of that crew now. Um, so I go Gasicki, you know, I, I like Johnu Smith. I, I, you know, Noah Fant right. is hanging out there. We're back now. Um, now we're, now we're friends again. I, I have found, I have found that the drafts where I take a guy kind of in the middle rounds, like, you know, if I settle like on a Hunter Henry or somebody like that, like, I just don't like the rest of the team around it. Like all the things I'm, I'm, I'm passing up on for a tight end that I'm not, you know, a hundred percent in love with, um, it just it just doesn't sit well with me. So I'm like, either if I don't if I don't you know make the move and get Kittle early on, then I'm waiting a long time. Do you think Ertz is still part of that elite tier, or do you think he's actually closer to the middle of the pack than he is the top of it? I think he's kind of that second tier guy, maybe even you know, kind of near the bottom. I don't seriously, I'm not I'm not sold on Dallas Goddard as being his big breakout tight end, but I'm sold on Dallas Goddard doing just enough to wreck Zach Ertz's fantasy value. Oh, that, that sounds just awful enough. Uh, <laughs> all right. So is there anybody for you this year that you see like people are kind of out on that you're in on? Is it like a David Montgomery type guy that had high expectations and maybe like post hype or like who are some of the Marcus Grant guys real quick that, you know, that people don't seem to be as on that you love and you make sure that you're prioritizing? Um, David Johnson is probably top of the list for me. And I know that the, the Twitter battle rages on oh, about what David Johnson uh, can be. And yes, last year it, it ended badly for him. But I, I went back and looked, and those first five or six games were better than you remember. I mean, right. he, he ran the ball effectively. He scored touchdowns. He caught the ball. He got hurt. And I, I felt like he rushed back a little bit early from his back injury. And, you know, the Kenyon Drake, just, maybe it was pressure from Kenyon Drake from how well he was playing, but I felt like he rushed back in. Uh, it really didn't help him out a whole lot, and and you saw the results. But uh, I think in Houston, with nobody to, to really take carries from him, I think you know he'll catch the ball just enough in that offense to be worthwhile. Uh, I, I think you know if you're if you're bait, don't bait on him as an RB one, like that's a mistake. But if right. you can get right. him in the mid rounds as your second running back, I think you're fine. All right, we could go all day, but we can't. He's Marcus Grant. Go follow him on Twitter at Marcus G and check him out at NFL Network. We'll be right back. More FSD right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. This is hour number two of our Sports Grid Show, Fantasy Sports Today. I'm Craig Mish. He is Joe Pizzapia. We are here with you every day from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern as we roll on with the show. Thanks again to Marcus Grant for coming on the program and talking a little NFL. Boy, it is really hard every year for me to identify which of the offensive lines in football, Joe, that you could really count on. Because from a running back perspective, this is a huge factor. From a quarterback perspective, this is a huge factor. And I always feel as though there are very few teams that from year to year keep it the same and keep it consistent. A lot of it, of course, is injuries. There's also a lot of transition because once a tackle starts playing well, he goes into his free agent season, boom, the guy's paid $50, $100 million, and then he's gone. And then they don't replace that left tackle with a really good tackle. So uh, offensive lines are, are sort of cyclical to me. And yeah. so, you know, I, I don't know that you can look back on 2019 and just automatically assume 2020 
is going to be an improvement because the talent changes, the players change, mm-hmm. and sometimes the coaching changes as well. Yeah, look, if there's one thing that is under-discussed in the fantasy football world, it's offensive lines. Because it really does have an enormous impact, not just on running games, but on quarterbacks, on offenses across the board. And it's something that you see in the NFL draft, Craig, that all of a sudden you see some of these guys going in the top 10 picks now, offensive linemen. You know, back in the day, you didn't see that as much. Maybe one offensive lineman. Now sometimes you'll see four or five, like last year, go early in a draft. And that's telling you how organizations are now realizing just how important it is to win the battle up front first. Because if you don't win that battle up front, you cannot do what you want to do on the football field, especially on the offensive side. And the same thing goes on the defensive side. You have to win up front. And the better teams in the NFL do that. And going back to last year, the PFF grades, I thought we would take a look at some of the best and worst offensive lines. And the best offensive line last year was, in terms of grade, was the Philadelphia Eagles, which tells you a lot about Miles Sanders' success in the second half. It also tells you about Carson Wentz's ability to be as consistent as he was. Again, Carson Wentz, the only QB1 last year in fantasy to throw for a touchdown in every single game last year. Just one guy. Carson Wentz. And part of that consistency was the consistency of the line. And looking forward into 2020, when I'm thinking of the Eagles, I am optimistic that despite Doug Peterson's past transgressions, that Miles Sanders is going to be his go-to guy. And we're not going to get into a weird timeshare because it seems like definitely this gives them the best chance to win. It's just what you're going to get out of the wide receivers. Obviously the tight ends are good, but in terms of the offensive line, Craig, when you start with number one of the Eagles, it tells you that despite lack of healthy weapons in wide receiver, they were able to be a playoff team. Why? Because the offensive line was good. Yeah, and, and that's a big part of it. Look, Peters for a lot of years was the anchor there. If that guy could just stay healthy yeah. ever. I mean, he may end up being a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. Oh, I, I think know. so. Yeah, oh, played yeah. a long time at a very high level, so uh, not surprising there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I saw a stat. It was interesting uh, yesterday on Kansas City about their usage of the running back. Forget who posted it. I probably should do a better job of that. Uh, but it was basically no running back under Andy Reid in Philadelphia or Kansas City had ever used a running uh, running back more than 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I the reason why I bring that up is because I think the Eagles are sort of in that category as well. Uh, I believe that Sanders is the most talented guy. I believe that he is the best running back there. I'm just I'm still just not sold until I see it with this. Uh, but I'm hopeful that based on their play of the offensive line last year and what could potentially happen this year, that right. Sanders could have a good year. Uh, you mentioned the uh, Baltimore Ravens, Joe. And, yeah, number two. Uh, and look, you know, this is a Harbaugh thing. You know, like they 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 always have a really good yes, offensive line. So this doesn't surprise me. And that's why they're always a playoff team. And nobody ran the football more effectively than the Ravens last year. And uh, you needed it, too, to protect Lamar Jackson and some of those designed run plays that you have, too, because you don't want him getting blown up behind the line of scrimmage. You can't miss an assignment and lose your quarterback. Like That, that is going to be a bad scene for them. But uh, the Ravens were number two and the Colts were number three, which is why I just I, I continue to beat this drum a little bit. Not that Philip Rivers is going to win MVP, but I think he has another good year in him behind one of the best offensive lines in football that's going to protect him. A guy who throws for 4,000 yards every year. He's got not one but two very capable running backs. He's got some wide receivers to work with. He's got a tight end in Jack Doyle to work with. He has a lot to be successful. And I think when you look at offensive lines, the Colts are a great example of how quickly you can turn an offensive line into from a bad one to a good one because under Andrew Luck years, the beginning of the Andrew Luck career, they were one of the worst offensive very lines. True. And that probably led to his early demise and retirement and that's why you look back on it and i think they're not going to make that same mistake twice in indianapolis and it was very smart to draft the way they have in the last few years yeah joe and as it pertains to the colts you know uh for many years um ryan grigson was the general manager of the indianapolis colts and and honestly took a beating for a good reason man and like this guy just never took an offensive lineman in the first couple rounds of the draft and that's why a lot of people think that andrew luck retired due to his negligence yeah, and uh, look, it's you don't want to lose a franchise quarterback that way. <laughs> you know, it's hard enough to go, you know, one in fifteen of the season and have to deal with all that, and then you get the Andrew Luck quarterback who's transcendent, and then you end up basically blowing it. And on the, you know, inverse side, looking at offensive lines last year, the three worst were the Bengals. No surprise there. They got to get better real fast because now they've got a young quarterback and you don't want to have the Andrew Luck route go. The Rams at 31 and the Dolphins at 32. Now, the Rams is an interesting one to be pointing out here because we can all talk about the narrative of Todd Gurley's knees. But if the offensive line is 31st, I don't expect anybody to be good behind that kind of an offensive line in terms of grading play. So I think it's something you need to take into account when you are 
just killing off Todd Gurley for 2020, I think it might be too soon. I'm not saying he's going to be the number one running back in football, but I'm telling you right now, the offensive line of the Rams is worse than you realized last year. And I think it was a huge contributing factor to Todd Gurley, you know, and the usage and everything kind of going backwards for the Rams in general. Nothing from Craig Mish. All right, let's talk about some of the guys in the offensive lines who are going to be better this year. 2020, these are some of the projected top offensive lines. That's what I'm most interested in. All right, so we've got the Ravens at number one, which is no surprise. That unit's always very good. As you said, Harbaugh always builds those teams around offensive lines. Number two is going to be the Saints. Number three, one of the projected ones on here, is the Tampa Bay Bucks. And yes, they have made some adjustments. That's certainly important. But look, I mean... You know, with, with Tristan Wirfs, you want to, you know, obviously he's going to be a big part of that offensive line. And you must protect the investment in Tom Brady because you can't have a guy who is so, you know, I want to say completely immobile because he's gotten better with the footwork actually as he's gotten older. The footwork's been better for Brady. But at the same time, you know, he's not going to be able to get flushed out of the pocket and run away from anybody. <laughs> so, I mean, that is very important. If the Bucks are going to be successful, they have to keep Brady upright. Number four is the Colts. Number five is the Cowboys. Now, just a few years ago, the Cowboys had the best offensive line in football. And I think when you talk about things being cyclical, they kind of did take a step back. They had lost a couple pieces there. Plus, on top of that, they had some injuries. But I think now you look at the line going into 2020, the Cowboys look very solid as well. And that Cowboys offense is set to be really good again. I mean, it is hard to find a hole in that offense this year. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is, is just waiting on the quarterback. But I, mm -hmm. I think, obviously, um, you know, that that took, with everything that's said about Jerry Jones, you do have to give him credit for that. Because in particular, he has been a staunch um basically guy that has gone after the offensive line every single year. He has always said that offensive lines win championships and he is the general manager. Make no mistake about it of the Cowboys. So he always finds a way to get a good offensive line. Now the rest of the top 10 offensive lines looking for 2020, uh, it's going to be the Patriots at six, uh, the Steelers at seven. So obviously those two lines have had some really good continuity over the last few years. You know, the Steelers just need a capable quarterback and Ben Roethlisberger to come back. So hopefully that'll work out. Uh, the Bills are actually making the top 10 here on this list of PFF. And then you have the Titans and Browns. And obviously the Titans are a really important one, too, because everything does run through Derrick Henry. So if that offensive line is playing well, they're going to have the ability to get Derrick Henry, possibly another rushing title. And the Browns, look, it's not a matter of protecting Baker Mayfield. I think they were a terrible offensive line last year so much as. Baker Mayfield has to make better decisions <laughs> and offensively yeah. they have to start coming together and uh, you know, hopefully they can start to do that. But you know, when you're looking at offensive lines, they should be a top 10 unit or close to it. So really I feel like doesn't the onus basically get pushed to Baker Mayfield then for him to finally succeed this year? I mean, I, I mean, finally, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, know. the guy's really had one full season starting. So I would say that there's pressure on him for sure, but hopefully mm -hmm. their offensive line is better. It, it, again, this is this is tough to look at and and predict going into a season, but it's very easy to do once you get two or three games in because then these the quarterbacks right. are on the back or the running backs aren't running the ball at all. So. Sure. Well, their PFF gradings are, are really good. The folks who do these are, are top notch. Their bottom offensive lines too for 2020 potentially going into the season are some of the teams that I'm very concerned about. Number 27 is the Jets is a team that I keep harping on that I don't think is going to be a good football team. Uh, and dead last is the Carolina Panthers, mm. who Craig continues to pound on them being a team that who knows they could be in the uh, in the Lawrence Hunt after all. The Dolphins are 31st. The Giants are 30th, but the Giants, I think, might have had made some strides last year. I think that's a unit that might play a little bit better. I like what they did in the draft there. But your Carolina Panthers narrative is set up here because yeah. they have them as dead last in terms of grade. It's going to be a tough year for them, man. They're going to they're going to lose a lot of games. Probably going to be the worst team in the NFL in the end. I mean, I know everyone has Jacksonville pegged for that, but I don't know. I, I think Carolina is is heading toward uh, Lawrence. I do. I, yeah. I think that. Well, they have. Uh, they're such a young team. They have three new starters on the offensive line, and they have the youngest average defense in terms of age in the NFL. That's yeah. that's an incredibly weird combination. Now, the good news is maybe in two years, if they, if they were right about the pieces that they put together, this could be a really good team for a very long time. But they're going to take some lumps, I think, right? Just on the just on the fact that the so much has changed and. I mean, we haven't even talked about Luke Keekley retiring. Like, I mean, it's nope. like he was the main guy on that team for almost a decade. It's it's just gonna and and again, you give you give a college coach five years to to get things going. 
you know, most most college coaches, when they get gigs in the NFL, it's a three-year or a maximum of four-year. They give Matt Rule five years. I mean, what, what does that tell you? They're, they have zero expectations for this year. Right. Um, I, I think I think it's a very strong bet with them having the worst team in the uh, worst record in the NFC. Things will have to break right in the NFL. But if you asked me going into the season who I think the worst team in the NFL is going to be, I think everyone will say Jacksonville. But I think Carolina ends up being the team. I think that's uh, uh, you might be right. They're maybe. very inexperienced. So we'll see if that catches up with them. Yep. All right, we'll uh, take a brief time out on Fantasy Sports today. A couple of little uh, news and notes from the NBA. A couple of big players uh, opting out of the NBA season coming up pretty soon. We'll dive into that and hit on a lot more as Fantasy Sports Today rolls on in just a couple of minutes. Make sure you go over to our website, sportsgrid.com. Check out our full schedule Monday through Friday and our weekend editions of the show. Catch it now, and we'll be back right after this. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're watching SportsGrid. Get on the grid. And welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today. We're about to embark on the most bizarre July 4th holiday that we have ever experienced in our lives. Uh, Joe, me, you, everyone is out there. Uh, here where I live in South Florida, as you know, we are sort of like a hot spot right now for all of this because our state is more or less open. Uh, and where I live is very close in proximity to the beach. I don't live on the beach, but I live very close to where you just go over a bridge and that's that's you know more or less where I live and I'm driving by Joe the other day and um you know we always have the blinking sign the week of July 4th that says hey look don't forget we're closing down this road uh for mm-hmm. July 4th only people who live here can come up and down but instead it says no fireworks fireworks canceled July 4th don't you know just get away basically right. so uh, I, I don't know what it's going to be like this year, and I have to say I'm a little fearful because I'm thinking that where they don't have the full fireworks on Saturday, like people are going to get wild and have a lot of stuff at their houses. It happens every year where we all live, I'm sure. Like you always have that neighbor that's like popping them at like 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh and then like We have that neighbor here in New Jersey you know, for like reason. three weeks before and three weeks after. You always have that. I get that, yeah. but – uh, are they having fireworks in New Jersey? Uh, no. You know, in fact, in Manhattan, they're doing, I don't know if you, you heard about this, but they're doing intermittent fireworks so that our people don't start clustering and gathering in one area. So they're not telling people where or when they're going to set them off, but they're going to be setting them off in the New York area, too, at five-minute increments. So they're going to be setting them off at, like, one place for five minutes. So if you just happen to be in that area, you go, oh, look, it's fireworks, but not long enough for a crowd to congregate which I thought was pretty clever. And then uh, they are going to have them in a section where you can see them over the river, which, you know, on the New Jersey side, you can see them gotcha. uh, where the Statue of Liberty is. So that's going to be cool. But uh, yeah, here, I don't know if they're going to have any uh, specific things. Usually here at my house, we do a fun giant barbecue where we have about 25, 30 people, but not doing that this year too, because, you know, I'm trying to respect the rules, you know, respect the rules, no huge gatherings. I mean, I'm not opening up a bar here. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic. We're not doing that. But it's it's sad because, like, we all look forward to these things. These are the things sure. that kind of mark the calendar for us, the fireworks display locally, the the barbecue that you always have on July 4th. And it sucks. And I understand everyone's disappointment, but we'll be far more disappointed if we continue to not obey the rules for this period of time and end up in a scenario where we are in quarantine longer and not able to see the things and do the things we want to next year. So I just kind of beg everybody, public service announcement, just adhere to the rules, okay? Just just sit at home, watch Sports Grid, 
have a couple people over and compromise, just a little compromise, just temporarily, you know, get us a, a much farther, you know, along the trough there a little bit. But uh, there is always that neighbor that has the fireworks yes. and it's, and you always hear them at like 1030 at night, like you're just about to fall asleep or something like that. Or you're relaxing and then, you know, all of a sudden they start going off somewhere. And I, I've seen some very funny videos of people in some small neighborhoods in New York City getting pissed off at other people lighting fireworks. And those are outstanding. I highly recommend looking for those on the internet. They are hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, July 4th is also my son's birthday. Ah, uh, so, oh, that's right. Yeah. So, so he'll be eight years old. So we're, we're you know, assuming that there's no fireworks. Mm -hmm. So we're planning, um, you know, the, the party. And, you know, I don't know when your kids' birthdays are. Are they anytime this summer or they're... Uh, yeah, one in August and one in February. Right. So essentially what we're doing is we're doing a zoom party he had one for someone else last week and we're mm -hmm. you know sort of stealing some of the ideas from that and so what happens is you invite i guess you know up to 20 kids or something like that to all pop right. on zoom at the same time and in advance what we're doing is we're in the mail we're mailing them uh like favors to use during the party and like different games yeah. to play during the party so Very they can cool. all play um you know, on the fourth, one of the things that we did is we mailed or we're mailing. I don't know if we mailed it yet. I'm mailing it. I, I'm the one that does the mailing and we have well, it's, it's so getting I'm, close here. It's the fourth is right around the corner. You better right. get in so the mail. Well, here. It's all local. So I'll mail it tomorrow. It'll be there Friday. Okay. All right. But, but um, <laughs> we're mailing them uh, spinning tops. Uh huh. So we'll have a spinning top contest, you know, during the, the party. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, very good. I, you know, like you got to get creative here. We've done a lot of the drive-by things and people decorate their cars here. We've done a couple yeah, of we're those. We're going to have a drive-by, Joe, on the birthday. We're going to have a drive-by, you know, just right across. <laughs> hey, you know, Miami, you know, <laughs> but you go and uh, we've, they've done the things where they decorated the cars and people brought signs and dropped off gifts right. and, you know, we, it's ironic that we're in a better place than you right now with all this, which I is, never would have thought that. Uh, you know what? I, I did. And, and I hate the fact that I did because you could sense it from, you know, and, and I, re I think the reason why people up here anticipated it was because we saw what was going on in Florida and opening up already. And we're like, mm, I don't think that's a good idea considering what was going on up here. You might want to chill with all that. I don't know if it's a great idea to have everybody out on the beach and wall to wall people at uh, bars and restaurants again. And here they're actually closing the, uh, they were going to open indoor dining uh, and they've, put that on hold too. They were going to do that next week, but they said, nope, we're not going to do that because already there were some places that weren't following the rules. We're very stickler for the rules up here in the Northeast. We're very tough. You know, out there in Miami by the beach, everyone's so lax about everything. No beach is open July 4th weekend. That's good. Well, that's good. That's good. But I All mean, all the way through the 7th. Well, I mean, you got to, I mean, you got to, otherwise people aren't, you know, going to adhere to it. And, and Arizona's even, I mean, to think that the original plan for Major League Baseball was Arizona and Florida, and now they are the two worst places. Could you imagine if they had agreed to that? What what kind of chaos they might be in no, right now? I don't think they could they could do it. Yeah. Could they have pulled it off the switch? Uh maybe. It's I like mean, the they would have switch to. on I mean, There's, there's no like... way the season could have been played in Florida now. I don't think. No, I mean you pretty much would have to turn everything around and send everybody back, and it's just it's just madness to think like how how long it's been, but also how fluid it continues to be right now. Cause I think that's something that people aren't grasping. And I do understand the mentality of people when they don't see it in front of them when they don't know people who have had it and struggled with it or seen people they know who have passed away from this terrible thing here in COVID-19 that it seems out of sight, out of mind. And I get that. I understand that, but you have to understand this is a real thing. 125,000 people have died in this country from this. That is an enormous number. Okay, so like let's let's just stay on board here. It's gonna be a tough year. Twenty twenty is gonna suck. Go get a black book, play some fantasy football, hope for the best there. And what else can we do? Like like we're just trying our best. You know, everyone's trying to be creative. And I I know I think quarantine stunk for people you know who were in areas that weren't hot at the time because they were like, well, what are we doing this for? Everything's fine until they start seeing the numbers go up and until they start seeing right. it, and then you get scared, right? I imagine there's a fear factor setting in, you know, in the Florida area at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose so. I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't changed one way or the other, I guess. I mean, maybe it's something to consider, but I mean, we, we don't really do much anyway, so. <laughs> we don't go out much. Little yeah, golf, a little baseball. Um, you know, we haven't eaten out at all, period. Did haven't you ever get the pizza? Haven't ordered in. We haven't ordered in in three You still months. haven't ordered the pizza? 
Yeah, see, we've ordered pizza now a couple of times. Chinese for Father's Day, we ended up doing because my dad wanted that. So, so we ended up, you know, like we're starting to do that more. I can understand you now maybe not wanting to do it, but I also see some of the guys in the NBA are, you know, we're getting more and more names every day as things go through too of guys who, you know, are pulling out of the season and just saying, hey, it's not worth it, or you know, I I don't believe it's the thing we should do, or it's I'm a high risk, and I think you're just going to continue to see that, and that's going to be the new normal at least for 2020. Yeah, um, that's in particular DeAndre Jordan uh, tested positive and and he opted out. Um, you know, it's crazy to think one year ago, Joe. You know, they get DeAndre Jordan, um, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. You're thinking like, you know, the Nets are the the next next great beast of the East. That well, may, but they that knew may be the Durant case next was hurt year. for a year. Like they knew they were not getting Durant this year when they signed him. Correct. Right. Like that was mm-hmm. yeah, that was you know a, a predisposed. But look, maybe next year they will be. Those are some guys. <laughs> That's some dudes to compete, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could. I mean, Durant's got to come back healthy for sure, but there doesn't seem to be any concern for that. So I would say that there's a chance of that for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, where we're at with the NHL, right now it's a little bit of a mess. Uh, right now, Joe, the NHL is sort of uncertain if they can even start their tournament on, um, uh, you know, in July. And uh, the lottery is a little bit of a mess too. Um, they they basically can't get themselves out of their way. I, I don't know what to think about the NHL at this point. No, it's it's look. I, I don't want to say things are going to get canceled, but it's it's getting difficult. You know, I think to run some of these things here, and you know, even with baseball, like I don't know. It's it's all. I feel like if we get it on the field, everyone will take a deep breath and and it'll be okay. But I think the the initial hurdle of just getting it back for a day. I think that is going to be more difficult than even playing the season. Would you? Do you think that's a hot take, or you think there's something to that? Yeah, no. Um, you know, Adam. Silver I almost feel said, like that's the hurdle. Like, yeah. okay, uh, the we're playing. The commissioner of uh, of the NBA said yesterday that um, that there is a chance that the NBA could have to get stopped. I mean, there's there's definitely a chance of that. So, I mean, baseball could be the very same thing. We don't know. And and look, most of the texts that I get from people involved in the game are optimistic but still very cautious about getting this all going it could be for nothing yeah it's it's like i said it's, it's just very difficult to have a sport where you play multiple times a week you know i just think it's very difficult i think it's the bigger the two edges that football has is number one more money than anybody else <laughs> number two the fact that they play one game a week it's very isolated you can contain it in a much better way than having people back and forth playing every day in a series or, or whatever that is. And I think that's that's one of the things the NFL might have going for it compared to some of these other ones. And then, you know, I, I'm I'm still being optimistic for MLB and the NFL season to go to because I don't think they want to get zero revenue this year. And you know, as we always say on the show, greed always wins. So. I think they're going to find a way to get some kind of product on the field, but it's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll have to see as uh, we get closer to training camp opening a um, couple weeks. All right, uh, what we're going to do is we'll take another brief commercial timeout here on Sports Grid, and then coming up next, what we're going to do is dive into honestly one of the funniest guys that mm-hmm. has been a director uh, and even an actor to a degree for a long period of time. I don't know if you guys heard this yesterday, but Carl Reiner passed away, uh, and who was in his late 90s, uh, won all kinds of Emmys, and is responsible for some of the funniest movies that we've ever seen. A lot of them in the 80s and 90s for sure, uh, but you know he and Mel Brooks and a lot of those great directors really had an impact on comedy. So we're going to talk about that coming up a little bit later. Also, don't forget that our brand new channel over on the radio side is Sports Grid Radio. You can find our YouTube channel where Scott Wetzel is on every single day, very early in the morning, but every single day, 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., Bagels and Bad Beats. In addition, Gabe Morency has his program uh, overnight, as well as Scott Farrell, Coast to Coast. In fact, Scott's also on SB Nation Radio as well. But to get all this information, just go to our channel on YouTube or just go to sportsgrid.com for the latest. And we'll be back to wrap it all up right after this, so don't go away. sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you. As we get closer to the weekend, we're going to have Matt Sells from Fantasy Alarm. He's done a great job previewing NASCAR for us, and he'll be back on the show tomorrow. Joe, what do you got going on on your program this weekend on the Diamond Bets show? Well, on Diamond Bets, Matt Stryker and I are going to dive into some of the latest FanDuel odds are now posted. So we're going to get you some uh, some win totals, obviously. We're going to keep going with those as they get released. Also, some of the uh, MVP and Cy Young Award races that are going on potentially, too, who we like in a 60-game season. We're also going to talk about some of our favorite spring training moments in Three Strikes and... A little flipping cards because a little baseball cards goes a long way. So it was a little humor. And unfortunately, the world got a little less funny uh, yesterday with the passing of Carl Reiner, Craig. Yeah, Carl Reiner, you know, certainly some of the funniest movies of all time. I think my favorite one that he made was The Jerk, if I'm not mistaken. That was oh, so funny. You know, um, you know, that goes back into the late 70s, into the 80s uh, with Steve Martin. But a, a movie that still, you know, sort of holds up today um, you know, did a lot of movies with him. Um, he did Oh God with George Burns. People forget about those movies, how funny those were, um, mm-hmm. the first and second one there, and had a great relationship with Mel Brooks as well. And I know this is probably before a lot of people's time who are watching this, but, uh, you know, I mean, maybe this would be, in, you know, fun to go back in time and go check out one of his older movies. Yeah, I mean, The Jerk is just fantastic. I mean, the, the scene where he's trying to leave in a huff and he says, this is all I need. I just need this magazine. That's all I need. This magazine and this remote. The remote and the magazine and, and this chair. That's it. The remote, the chair, the magazine. That's all. And maybe maybe this this coffee mug. I need this. Too. Like, it was the ping pong paddle. The ping pong paddle. <laughs> and he also did the, I didn't realize this too. I'm looking at the filmography of The Man with Two Brains too, which is another funny movie. Uh, another Steve Martin one. Uh, and All of Me, which is when he switches bodies with Lily right. Tomlin. That's, that's a that's a like forgotten great comedy as well. But you think about like how important he was with the 2000 year old man sketch, him and Mel Brooks. Uh, you think about, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show, one of the creators of that. I mean, Carl Reiner, you know, the man has made you laugh. You know, you just don't realize it. And that great quote he has, you people need to laugh. They want to laugh. And that's true. And, you know, some of the stuff too, in the later years of him and Mel Brooks, who were very close, I'm sure this is very tough for him to lose, like basically his best friend, I guess. And, you know, you see some of the clips. I think it was the was that the Jerry Seinfeld with the with the cars, or it was yes. some other yeah. right where they were all yeah. together the there on cars getting coffee, and yeah. they were eating on the on the TV tables because they didn't want to go out to eat or something. Like that. That's a crazy right. thing like that. Like that's who these guys were, and like I can't imagine just how funny just the random conversations were there. And obviously, his son Rob Reiner, a very famous actor and director in his own right and creator of content, but. Um, it's just, why does it hurt more when you lose a funny person? Like, you know, I feel like when John Candy or Robin Williams, it hurts more, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. I think because at some point they've brought some sort of joy into your Mm -hmm. life at some point. And so, um, you know, to, to know that they're not going to be around, but he was 98 years old, right? If I'm not mistaken. 98 years old. And speaking of John Candy, he also directed Summer Rental, which for any father, I mean, if you don't enjoy Summer Rental, or at least understand the scene where he's walking on the beach holding everything at one time between the coolers and the and the sandwich things and the umbrellas and the chairs and trying to maneuver around the beach. I mean, that is like to me one of the like iconic dad moments and I've been there myself. I'm sure you have as well. Uh, but when you're have traveling to the beach as a dad, like that was it, you nailed it. And it just it stinks when you lose funny people, but what a life. I mean, 98 years old to be able to you know, make people laugh for a living sounds like a, a pretty good way to spend it. I would say that for sure. For sure. Uh, we got some other good news yesterday as Kirby enthusiasm was renewed again for oh, an, another season. And at this point, I mean, it's 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 approaching a category of of some of the longest running, uh, you know, comedies of all time. I mean, I, I really didn't think that would be the case. There's been some gaps in between where he's taken a couple of years off. But I thought the last season that they had of the show was fantastic. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all that it's back again. So wait, this will be 10 seasons, right? Or they just had the 10 11. Season. This will be 11 now, right? Wow. that is. You know what? He's been building for this his entire life. A pandemic, COVID-19, already somebody who's, you know... Uh, you know, worried about the world, doesn't want to touch anything or do it. Like, this is this is it. Like, this is like his Olympics, I feel like. And this could give us possibly the greatest thing ever. I wonder if it's going to be a quarantine thing. Like, is it going to be the mask yeah, and the no say. mask? I mean, all I know is this is what we need. We need a good laugh. And he's the guy to give it to us. Also, I don't know if you saw this, but Ozark got renewed for a fourth season too, which I, I was that. slightly surprised about. Like, Why? I kind of 
Well, because I kind of thought that they left off on a spot where they could leave on a on a really no, interesting. They have to wrap it up somehow. I don't know, man. I was satisfied with the ending of three. Like if they never came back, I would have been like, well, okay. Like I know what world they're in, and this is gonna be their world, and okay. I always worry sometimes if you go one season too many. I don't know. Like it's just, I don't know. I'm a little worried right now. I love Ozark. I kind of felt like it should be over. You you didn't have closure there at the end. No, I feel like there's a lot more, but I can, but they're doing one more season and that's it. Yeah. Well, look, I, the curb news. I mean, that's the best thing I heard all day. Like that is very exciting here. I I need some Larry. Is, is it going to go down as better than Seinfeld? <sighs> I don't think so because I'm sure more people watch Seinfeld. You know, just from the sheer viewing numbers, and it's yeah, not going to be something true. ever in syndication. So like, Curb's not going to. You know, Seinfeld's lived on for 20 plus years after the show. Like my kids watch Seinfeld in the mornings at breakfast time on TBS. They watch it like they they they're getting to know, like some of the characters and things. They think it's very funny. You know, obviously certain ones you can't show them, but other ones are like, no, this is a good one. You can watch this one where George loses his keys. They watched the Frogger one the other day. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. And they actually played Frogger because there's a place called Yestercade. So they actually knew the game and they thought that was a very funny thing of him. Moving the uh, the Frogger game in and out of the street. Do there. you have a place that you could go play old video games? Uh, we have this amazing place called Yestercades, which obviously we haven't been able to go to. Uh, my daughter had her birthday there, though, actually this past year. Uh, it's an old school video game arcade place. You don't use quarters, right? Everything is free. You pay, well, not free, but you pay by the right. hour. You get a bracelet, you go in there, which is great because if you don't like a game, you didn't go, oh, I wasted a quarter on that. That sucks. You just keep playing. You die, you keep playing. You like this game, you keep playing as long as you want. And it's amazing. Like, you just give people the freedom to play the games they want for as long as they want. And everyone just kind of cycles around. They have a row of pinball machines. They have the old school hockey with the dome, which is my favorite. And my youngest daughter, we like to play the hockey with the dome on it. What's Is there a name for that, you know, with the slider hockey? I don't know what it's called. You know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, but I know oh, what you're talking right. about. Yeah. That that is that is my favorite. Uh and yes, Brett's pointing out to Barcade is like that. It's kind of like bubble hockey. Thank you, Brett. Uh but but our there's a place there's two locations in New York called Barcade, which is fun too. It's like a bar with this kind of same thing, but you still have to use the coins and the things and the tokens. It's a pain in the ass. This is great and at nighttime when the kids are gone, it becomes BYOB, which of is pretty course, cool. Right. And the other so what, thing, what have, were your games of choice that you would play at those things? Uh, well, I do like that uh, that Time Crisis. You know, the, this might be a little bit after your time here, but it was one of the uh, first-person shooter games where you step oh, on the paddle and you you can yeah. duck behind things. That's a good one. Golden Axe is a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like the uh, the old school uh, bubble hockey. They also have something really cool, which is they have a row of televisions and couches with old gaming systems. Everything from Original oh, Atari yeah. and Nintendo all the way up to Xbox and PS, you know, 4, I guess 5 soon. So you can plug in games and just sit there and play and like you rent them for like an hour at a clip or something like that. That's pretty cool. They don't have anything like that down by you? No uh, throwback no, arcades? I may, but I'm not aware of it. Throwback arcades fun. It's a yeah, fun I, afternoon. I have Galaga and I have Pac-Man in my house. Ah, excellent. Yeah, we don't have any old school games in the house, but on the Nintendo Switch, you can get the thing where you get to play the old school games, which is kind of fun. I wish they would put some of the better games, though. Still no Contra, no RC Pro-Am. You'd think in quarantine they'd give us some better games here. They keep giving us copies of games I never heard of, and I don't know why they're doing that, so it's a little frustrating. But, again, there's there's places for my rage, and this is not one of them, at least not right now at the end of the show. Yeah, and, and, I, and I would think that some company would come up with some innovative idea at this time to be able to provide us with all of those. That's a really fair point. Um, I mean, Nintendo's got it. They've had the platform. They already do it. I don't know why. And it's cheap. It's only like $12 for the whole year. And you have all the Super Nintendo games and all the old school Nintendo games, but they only release like two or three, which from the gaming world, it's kind of weird. You would have, I agree, you would have thought they would have been releasing a lot more of the classic games out there. And they have the Tecmo Bowl and all that stuff, but no Baseball Stars, no RC Pro-Am, uh, no Contra. I mean, those are the those are the staples of Nintendo. Are we ever going to be able to go to those kind of places again? <sighs> I don't know, man. I was thinking about that today, man. I was like, you know, if everyone's touching everything and, you know, I know. and everyone's like, ugh. I mean, looking back on it, maybe, <laughs> you know, germs are all around us, right? Like, I think everybody should learn one thing from this. Everybody, everybody could do a better job of just personal maintenance, right? You know, your hair aside, your hair's glorious. Yeah, that's but other the- than that, 
personal maintenance, hand washing, simple things like that. There's no reason why we can't be better with that. So, but I, I digress. I am very glad about Larry David being back. You, you, you enjoyed the last season, right? Because I know you I were kind of sour. Really good. Yeah, you were sour before that. I did not like the season before that. I did and then not you sweetened. Yeah, you were sour, and then you sweetened again, which is good. I did. I liked it. Who's your favorite Curb character? Do you have one? The my favorite. Spider. My favorite what? Curb character. Do you have one? Like besides um, Larry? Yeah, Susie Essman probably. Funk yeah. Howard was real good. You know, the, one of the funniest episodes ever was when, um, you know, his dad was played by Shelley Berman. Yeah. Uh, you remember that one? That that I think that may have been my favorite one of all time. Which one? The one with the was that with the one where the the he had a couple really funny ones. Not, like Mail Order Five. The Dodgers game. Is that the carpool lane one? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where he picks up the prostitutes just so they can yes. ride in the carpool lane. I, I think lane. that may have been the funniest one I've ever seen. It's pretty good. I liked when he cut the hair off the doll and the dolls, the, she didn't realize the, the hair wouldn't grow oh, back. Yeah, that was a good one, too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I know the show's on HBO, but I feel like it's approaching Seinfeld levels at this point. I you know do. what's funny? And, and now that we're talking about this, I forgot to mention it to you is – Watching some of these old Seinfelds, how much they cross over. There was a bit there the other day where Kramer had an idea for the, um, was it the periscope in the car, which was done on curb. Right. Remember that? Like there was a bunch of things that start to come up there and you're going, oh, wait a minute. These are all things that later on got like bigger ideas on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So it is kind of funny. Like he is repeating himself or he's going longer for him on some of these ideas that he keeps harping on. But I, I did love the Spite store. Is it wrong that I hate Mocha Joe so much? Like, I hate <laughs> that guy. And I don't know if I should hate him. Like, I kind of... Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's all right. I, I hate Mocha Joe. Like, and I'm sure the guy who plays him is lovely. But, like, if I saw him on the street, I feel like I'd get mad at him. He really irks me, that guy. And it's a credit to him. He's done a great job with the, with the role. But I, I can't stand Mocha Joe. I'm a Latte Larry guy. Uh, me too. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Thanks to everybody who watched, and thanks to everybody who's listening on the podcast radio side as well. Really appreciate that. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here for another edition of Fantasy Sports Today on SportsGrid. But we are just getting started with all of our programming, of course, today. Coming up a little bit later, we've got our good friend Scott Farrell. He is coast-to-coast -coast here on SportsGrid, followed by Gabe Morency. Make sure you stay tuned for both of them in-game live. we got plenty of programming 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For it all, just go to sportsgrid.com right now. Like and subscribe to all of our videos and all of our shows. Thanks again to Brett, Danny, and Ryan for their help with the program today. For Joe, I'm Craig. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.